1: Good morning. A reading from Colossians 1, 11 through 20. It's page 956 in your pew Bible. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything in patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Thanks be to God.
0: One of the happiest days of my life was the day my cell phone rang, and it was John Kerr, chair of the pastor search committee, telling me that that committee would like for me to serve as the seventh pastor of this great congregation. I started September 1st, 2013, after I had served a year as the interim pastor here. But after my official start, September 1, there was a three-week delay until I preached my first sermon as senior pastor. It was September 22nd. And we in this room opened our Bibles together, read from 1 John that we need to love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. We've been captured by the love of God in Christ, and now it's ours to be carriers of that love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And on that day, I pulled out a baseball. Any of you all remember this? Now, quoted from the longtime uh, manager of the L.A. Dodgers, Tommy Lasorda, who is said to have started every spring training by holding up a baseball and saying, gentlemen, this is a baseball. (laughs) Now, presumably, uh, players who had made it to the major leagues were ahead of him on that. But it was a way of saying in spring training, we're going to start from the basics every year. We will hit and run and catch and throw. And my point over nine years ago was that we were going to talk about Jesus. We would stay focused on the Bible. We would talk about Jesus and we would spread love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. We were going to play fundamental baseball. I don't have a copy of Ryland Knight's sermon 90 years ago, but it appears that Dr. Knight had a similar idea when he started in that newly merged congregation. As you heard John say, they sat right below us, uh, the, the congregation gathered in what's now the choir space. I've never heard of another church doing this, but they built those spaces to gather And this was just the slab for the sanctuary they would dream and build later. They were holding church down below here. So, the first worship service downstairs, folding chairs, center aisle, as a matter of habit, the history tells us, the Second Baptist Church folks sat on one side, the Poncelean Avenue folks sat on the other. And they opened their Bibles that day and read from Genesis chapter 1. Dr. Knight preached a sermon called The Beginning. He was rooting their story and our story in the great story of God's redemptive love. They sang that day just as we did today. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. The beginnings, the fundamentals, love not in word or speech but in truth and action. Gentlemen, this is a baseball Without these anchors, without these reminders of what is central, the church has a chance of getting out of her lane, chasing self serving interpretations or political agendas or secondary messages. I'm sure that Ponstallian Avenue Church and, and uh, Second Baptist uh, had some peculiar traditions they had to kind of get together. They probably had some minor theological differences that had to come together. So Dr. Knight takes them back to the shared core convictions of the faith, the beginning, and he sings the reminder that the one foundation of the church is Jesus Christ, her Lord. It's not a bad idea every now and then to just be reminded of the fundamentals. The the passage we read from Colossians today uh, was was read in the context of a church that was at a real risk of a departure from core beliefs that would have been really, really dangerous. You see, the church then was in its infancy. There were no, there was no authoritative Bible. There were only kind of uh, itinerant storytellers going from church to church, or a few honored men of the faith who would write letters to kind of keep the church on track. But there was no authoritative scripture, there was no long tradition, so the church was really at risk of going adrift. And there were competing voices in the conversation as well. There were false teachers who would come in and out of the congregation, confuse the doctrine, get the Christian community off center, And in this case, in the church in Colossae, there were two false teachings that were really rampant. Both of these held the risk of challenging the people of Colossae for their primary allegiance and getting their their focus off of Jesus. One of those was that true worship should not be of Jesus, but of Zeus, yeah, that Zeus. <laughs> Remember, first century, it's a strongly uh, Greek-influenced world. Zeus is mentioned a few times in the New Testament. And he's easily worshipped. because Zeus is the symbol of power and virility. He's the god of sky and thunder in Greek mythology, known for his erotic escapades, power. And the other challenge to this congregation was angel worship. Paul mentions it specifically in the next chapter. In chapter 2 Paul says, "...let no one disqualify you insisting on self-abasement and the worship of angels." So, the Apostle Paul writes this small congregation to try to pull them back to the center, to reintroduce reintroduce the fundamentals, to remind them of the jealous supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For in him all things in heaven and earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. The occasion of this 90th anniversary has given me to thinking about what has changed in the life of the church and what hasn't from Colossae to 90 years ago when they were in the basement here to today. First it, it, it just occurred to me that none of Paul's church starts are still going. Have you ever considered that? most important missionary in history started congregations throughout europe and asia minor and not one of them still going strong i don't did they lose their focus that the central teaching is jesus the beginning and end of our faith i don't know still their witness and their legacy lives of course through the letters We've celebrated Second Baptist and Ponce de Leon Avenue Baptist. They're not still in existence either, except they continue to live because they live in our heritage. What we do know is that they did not lose the focus on what was central. Instead, they moved in a courageous direction of the Spirit's movement, merged, and we are inheritors of the traditions. I mean, there's so much that has changed, right, over the years since the early church, but not her center, not the fundamentals. In the first century, Paul writes a small but faithful community in Colossae to tell them, Jesus is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And then 90 years ago, in the basement under us, Ryland Knight starts with the beginning Focus on the essentials. And nine years ago, I stood up here and held a baseball. It's all very different, and it's all very much the same. But there is another reason that we are not that removed from our merged history, or even from the early church that was gathered in Colossae. The thing we share with those congregations might surprise you, And the reason we still have to go back to the basics and declare Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. The reason we are tempted to stray from that message might surprise you. And that is that we're still tempted to worship Zeus and the angels. In fact, you could make the case that more people today worship Zeus and the angels than center their lives around Jesus. Remember, Zeus is the symbol of power and virility, the god of sky and thunder. He's worshiped today all over the place just by other names. The worship of power and control and erotic conquest have not gone away since the first century. Zeus is still a real contender for what gives life meaning. In fact, if you look at the trending statistics of church and faith, you could make the case that Zeus is winning. Many more people got up this morning in Atlanta to chase power than got up in Atlanta to go to church. The other contender for the early church's worship was angels. And I'll assure you, angel worship is alive and well. Angels are great. They've got white robes and gleaming halos, and they make no demands. They're wonderful. They float off the ground and tell pixie dust stories, and they have straight teeth and blown dried hair. I love angels. Who wouldn't want to worship angels? Remember from Christmas? Angels bring good tidings of great joy. They're so great. And angel worship involves the worship of things that sparkle and tickle and fluff your pillow. Uh, They don't call it angel worship today, but I know some churches that meet in big arenas and worship angels every Sunday, bowing to what is comfortable and beautiful and easy and warm. But in the biggest questions of life, Zeus and the angels have nothing to say. They are mute on the questions that matter most, like forgiveness, and redemption which is why paul urges us to build our lives with no regard to worship of zeus or the angels but with christ at the center for in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell Paul said to the struggling church, thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Thanks, thanks, thanks. On this week of Thanksgiving, we're going to be, many of us, with family this Thursday. We're going to be giving thanks too. We'll grab hands around a table, many of us. And listen out and notice... That our giving thanks is also sometimes tied to our worship. Some people will give thanks for the blessings of Zeus, for their job and their power and their control and their conquest. Some will give thanks for the blessings of the angels, comfort and ease. But some will give thanks for the inheritance of the saints. The early saints told of being rescued from the power of darkness, of redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And they told the early church of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in Him all things in heaven on earth were created. And that word was embraced by the early church in Colossae And they faithfully passed it on to the next generation across the years. Until 90 years ago, the inheritance that had been passed down gathered below us, two congregations meeting as one. They were seated on opposite sides of that center aisle at first when Ryland Knight declared, He himself is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And in Jesus all things did hold together because that group eventually started mixing up with each other. Sitting with each other on this side and that side. And before you know it you couldn't tell which one was which and who started where. And they joined arms and they gave their money and they committed themselves And they passed on the witness to the next generation and the next and the next. And 90 years later, we stand here to open the seal of our inheritance and read together. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself. And so today we make our pledge to the next generation. That we will be good stewards of the inheritance. That we'll keep our focus on Jesus and the abundant life that he modeled. That we'll be faithful stewards and interpreters of the Bible. That we'll give our money and time and giftedness to advance the witness of Jesus that we will nurture the inner life of the soul, that we will love not in word or speech but in truth and action. So, today is kind of a vow renewal service of sorts. Gentlemen, this is a baseball. Jesus will be the center and focus of our faith and our life together. We will follow the Christ in both challenge and comfort, in repentance and forgiveness, in abundance and generosity. And we will one day pass along our inheritance to the next generation. We will remind them of what our ancestors told us that he himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The church that has made it this long has made it because some people felt the truth of those statements and said, Jesus is the Christ, and I'm going to follow him no matter what. And throughout the history of our Baptist tradition, those folks have come forward in services like this to say, I want to throw my lot with you. I I want to be church with you. I want to bring my broken, imperfect self into this community of broken, imperfect people and try my best to make Jesus the center of it all. That invitation continues to be true. And a part of how we... Continue this witness to the next generation is to bring our broken lives forward and say, Put me in. Christ has redeemed me and I want to go to work for him. So if you feel so led, I'll be down front to receive you. But whatever you do, don't leave here without some commitment, without some vow renewal that says, I will not listen to Zeus and the angels anymore because my life is going to be centered on the person of Jesus in whom there is life abundant. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelia Baptist Church.